This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Department of Public Instruction Superintendent Jill Underly delivered her third State of Education address this last week. She is now embarking on a statewide strategic planning process. She says despite the struggles of public schools and the culture wars in education, she is hopeful for the future of Wisconsin students and for future bipartisan agreement on education issues. We welcome Superintendent Underly. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, in your State of Education address last week, you talked a lot about hope. I, I counted, you mentioned hope in some form like 34 different times. What is it specifically? You know, some people would say, hard to be hopeful in this time of education from you know, disagreements at school board levels and at the state capitol. What is it specifically that you are hopeful for, for school, public schools? I'm hopeful for this next generation of kids. I mean, they are incredible. And I think when you look at the challenges that we've faced in the past, um, you know, coming out of COVID, for example, certainly there are many ways that we can think of all the ways that we could be you know hopeless right but coming out of it I mean you think about all the great things ahead um, and you think we've certainly gone through challenges before I think about you know maybe after World War II or you know certainly during the um, space race in the 50s and the 60s and what has come out of all those challenges and, and maybe us feeling undaunted perhaps you know We've got AI to look at. We've got this generation of kids who want to work together. They want to collaborate. They want to think about things differently. They want to innovate. And certainly, um, I'm hopeful when you think about the act of teaching and the act of learning and the humility involved. Um, we have to give them these opportunities so that they can be future focused and future ready. So if you had to point then to like one major concern you have for just this upcoming school year for public schools, what would that concern be? Yeah, certainly I think about, you know, that we fall back into the way things were. So when you look at before COVID, I mean, there was a, you know, some complacency, right? You know, and then when we get through COVID and we think about all the different ways that we were able to innovate, all the ways that we came together, um, I want to harness that energy, and certainly that's how I want to move forward. And I think, though, that's where the hope is. Do you mean complacency in terms of, like, how satisfied me we maybe were with the, the, the performance of certain groups sure. of students? Absolutely. I think we were. We were complacent with, like, performance and academic performance, perhaps even how we were treating our teachers in our schools. You know, it, I think, you know, COVID was a wake-up call for a lot of things that we were doing and how we could make things better. And I think, you know, we certainly found ways to innovate, right? We found ways to incorporate more technology. We found different ways to learn. We found different ways to teach. And I think we have found different ways to serve kids. You think about how we had universal meals during COVID and how beneficial that was. Um, we thought of also like mental health. We, the way that we were serving kids for mental health was not working. And now we know that we're certainly you know, in, in the thick of things right now is how to make things better, but it also, hope is where we can find that innovation to make sure that we're serving kids and families better. You know, you didn't name names in your address, but you did reference in different ways those culture wars uh, in education currently and the efforts of some leaders maybe to, you know, push back on diversity, equity, inclusion efforts or to ban books. You talked about homogenizing learning as a concern and ignoring history. Why do you think there seems to be such such a 
pushback specifically on, for instance, DEI efforts? Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate, honestly. Um, but I think also the, the way that we're framing things, you know, publicly, DEI, it's a, that's a past issue. The kids are so far beyond that. They want to work together. They want diversity. They want equity. They want inclusion. They want all voices to be heard so that they can be Again, future focused. And Do you think some of those leaders are afraid? Is that where the pushback is coming from, I, or where is it coming from? You know, it's hard for me to say necessarily, but I do feel like that's a, that's a way by pushing on, you know, restricting DEI. That's a way to prepare kids for the past. That's not a very future focused effort. And when you look at DEI, you know, that's certainly like corporations, you know, in Wisconsin and nationally, internationally, they're all pushing in favor of DEI initiatives because we know that if people are going to be productive, if kids are going to learn, if adults are going to be successful, they need to feel involved, they need to feel supported. And DEI is as much as recruiting a kid out of rural Wisconsin to attend um, a, you know, higher education institution in Wisconsin as it is you know, girls in STEM and those STEM programs that we have with you know, higher ed and our K-12 schools. So I mean, DEI is more than just students of color. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. It's possible, but I also feel like it's a way to just hold you know, certain um, institutions, institutions hostage as well. Um, when you look at using, you know, threats to not increase salaries or, you know, to withhold an engineering building from the budget. You're talking about the UW system. Yeah, you, you certainly have to look at it and think, gosh, that is really short-sighted. Again, that's a way, you know, that's not future focus. That's a way that we're preparing kids for the past. And in the case of the engineering, we need engineers. You know, our businesses in Wisconsin need engineers, and they're pushing for that. So if we're not able to get kids in Wisconsin to study engineering in Wisconsin, they're going to go to other states. And what does that and mean for businesses? What do you businesses? say to parents or community leaders that say, you know, I want my school to focus on reading and math, that we, kids are struggling in those areas, and leave those lessons around, you know, culture, equity, gender, leave those mm -hmm. to me and my home with my child. Yeah. That's fine, but you know, in the schools, we have to address all these things because that is part of the that is part of the whole learner, and that is part of the whole package. And for kids to be successful, it doesn't you know it doesn't matter where they come from in Wisconsin. They have to feel safe. They have to feel included, and that's part of you know student support. That's part of mental health. That's part of nutrition. It's part of everything. Being involved in activities. All of those things contribute to you or our children being good learners or being productive employees, whatever it might be. And so certainly address those issues at home, but the schools, that is part of the whole package of how we develop future-focused learners. In your address, you referenced concerns about an overemphasis on test scores and wishing policymakers maybe would focus on other things as well. You know, the media reports on test scores, uh, realtors tell people to sure. look at test scores when they're moving into community, po policymakers look at test scores. What, what, um, doesn't a test score at least tell a community how their public school system is doing or maybe where they need to put more supports? That's the latter part right there. It's where we need to put more support because test score is really a moment in time, right? And we can tell you, and I've, I've talked about this before, that we can tell you where a community is going to go on, the, on their test scores based on the resources that community has. Higher resource school districts have more support for kids. Those kids have more opportunities. They're going to do better on tests. 
the lower performing schools generally have fewer opportunities and fewer support. And so we need to make sure that we are focusing more support and resources in those, in those schools so that those kids can have those same opportunities to do well. When test scores do come out, we typically have a lot of the same conversations in Wisconsin, particularly about the performance of certain subgroups of students. In Wisconsin, we talk about how poorly our black students are doing among the worst performance in the nation. Do you expect when the next set of test scores come out that we'll see any improvement for that particular group of students? I'm hopeful there will be improvement. You know, certainly we're coming out of a couple years now from COVID. We did identify areas that we could provide more support. So certainly, and again, it's a, you know, a gap in inputs, you know, and support is going to show a gap in outputs. And the one thing I could say, you know, in, in defense of test scores is that, yeah, it does help identify where we need to put more support. So what, what kind of improvement would you expect to see for students of color um, in the coming year? Yeah, it's, I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the, the upcoming ones, but I, I think beca because of the money that we were able to put in place with ESSER um, and the federal dollars that, you know, targeted reading, targeted math, there, there should be some gains. You brought up reading, and that was something you mentioned in your State of Ed address as well, kind of the praise for that joint effort between DPI, the governor, and the legislature to put forward some reading legislation that includes some funding for literacy coaching staff, mm -hmm. some supports around curriculum for districts. What is the timeline and implementation of that reading law? Yeah, so we have a lot to do just by the end of this act, this. Uh, calendar year, sorry, I was going to say academic year, but by the end of this calendar year, so in December, we have to get the council in place, and we're finalizing that right now, and that was bipartisan. Um, then they will hire, and I will approve um, the director for this council. Um, we have to get a screener, a universal screener uh, approved as well. All by the end of the year? <clears throat> All by the end of this year. So, so certainly there, things are moving really fast, but it's exciting. What, when would, for instance, a parent maybe begin to see some differences in the way that reading is being taught in their district? I would say probably as soon as this year. I mean, lots of school districts have already embraced um, the new curriculum, or they had been already, you know, implementing new curriculum prior to this law being passed. Um, it seemed to be that's where we were all heading, and so I'm really excited that we were able to fund it. Um, with the legislature. So I think that they certainly will start seeing things now, but um, ultimately I would say probably the next school year if they haven't seen it already. Different materials coming home for Correct. their student. Um, when, how will DPI measure success? How will we know that this shift and these extra supports are working for students? Yeah, and I think that's a good way to look at it, right? Is like, it's going to be small. In the beginning, it's going to be a pilot. You know, certain districts are going to be um, using these materials before others. Um, they'll be getting coaching before others. And so certainly being able to keep it um, pretty controlled in the beginning so that we are able to see what's working, what's not, and then scale it up. Will you be using test scores or like what are, what's some of the way oh, that you'll know? Absolutely, yeah. So the universal screener, for example, is a big piece of that. Um, the professional development. Um, so the professional development is going to be interesting because we also have not just new teachers coming in out of the classrooms and, and colleges and universities in Wisconsin. We have to train the teachers who are already working as well. And so that'll be another indicator of how things are working as well. 
Uh, you referenced in your remarks about your excitement for some civic education efforts yeah. that DPI is embarking on and an upcoming announcement. I know that civics has been a priority for your administration. Do you have any sneak peek on what might be coming in civics? Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so we're weeks away from making this announcement, but we but have- Can you tell us yeah, a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, our scope and sequence for K-12 which is essentially curriculum and activities and ideas for field trips and ways that we can teach the content for civics um, for kindergartners through 12th graders so that teachers can take this information and incorporate it. It's based on our standards already um, for Wisconsin social studies standards. So they'll be able to use this either as a standalone course in high school or to already um, implement different ideas or just a little more structure to what they're already teaching to make sure that we're getting the material. We also have civic fellows um, in the state of Wisconsin, which will be funded uh, positions through um, different grants, but also through our CISAs to help um, coach teachers in how to incorporate more civics in, into their classroom curriculum. Does your personal passion for civics, civics education kind of tie back to any of that concern around the culture wars in education? Yeah, I think it would, you know, certainly it's been influenced by that. You know, I've, I'm a social studies teacher. I was a history major. I, you know, had a political science, um, you know, lots of cl classes in political science, um, certainly as an undergrad. Um, but it's very important to me. I mean, public education is, an, is one of the cornerstones of our democracy, and you have to have an educated public if you want your democracy to thrive. That's why it's in all our constitutional documents, public education, you know, that we, we have to provide these opportunities for kids. Um, and it's something I'm certainly passionate about, um, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I just love the fact when I can engage with kids on, on civics and elections and talking about, you know, not just the history, but what policies are important to them. And so when I, when I you know, hear things about the culture wars and I hear things about banning books, again, our kids are so far beyond this. And my own personal history is I've read this book, I've read this, or I've seen this movie, I know how it's going to end. And it doesn't usually end well the culture war. I mean, we, in efforts to limit speech or to limit knowledge, don't usually, you know, work out. You know, some of the critics of public education say, well, that's indoctrination, indoctrination of students. You're trying to move them down a particular political path. How do you respond? It's not. I mean, it's really, it's education. When you limit somebody's access to education, that's censorship. That's indoctrination. We need to give individuals the ability and the freedom to be able to learn. Um, you expressed previously a little bit of frustration over the recent biennial budget and the level of funding for public schools, also for the significant increase in funding for private voucher schools. The caps will be lifted on those voucher schools in just a couple years, 2026. Does that growing voucher system, in your opinion, threaten the sustainability of the public school system? So my position on vouchers has been very clear, um, and you know I don't necessarily need to say more on that. But what I will say is that as a as a state, I think we need to have this reckoning. Can we support two systems of education? Do we support the one that serves you know 12 percent or fewer students in the in the state, or do we support the system that supports all kids? in the state, you know, regardless of their abilities, regardless of where they live. Um, that's where we need to be putting our resources. But it seems like 
we've had those two systems for a while and the private voucher system doesn't seem to be going away, it's it's growing. Right. So what what is the solution then? Yeah, again, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in the position where I have to implement the policies that I've made, you know, through the legislature. And so I'm not in a position to necessarily say I'm going to do one thing or another. I'm going to implement the law. Um, but what I would say to the rest of the state of Wisconsin, again, is do we feel that we can support two systems? And again, do we want to support the one that serves all kids and invest in that system? Or do we want to say maybe we shouldn't be putting more chips into the basket of the system that doesn't support all kids? Do you think the caps should be lifted on the private voucher school system? I don't think they should be lifted. But again, that's my, my position for many, many years. Um, a June Marquette Law School poll just a, just a few months ago showed 31% of Wisconsinites dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with their local public school. It also showed 54% of Wisconsinites surveyed uh, favored allowing students statewide to use publicly funded vouchers to attend private or religious schools. Mm -hmm. What do those poll results say to you? Yeah, so I think on the first numbers, I think we can look at it the other way. 70% of people strongly or, you know, in general support their public schools. And I think that's very promising. Um, I also think with the other number that you mentioned there, um, the, with the, you know, funding the, the private school, more people will suggest that they want to support their public school. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but they're, they're overwhelmingly so. You know, like, if you say 31% don't support, that means that almost 70% do support their public school. And I think that's exciting to know Are that. you concerned about that third of people that say they're dissatisfied, very dissatisfied? Yeah, of course I'll be concerned about that. You know, and I guess I would like to know, you know, what, what the issues are. If it's a very local um, issue, is it, you know, certainly a certain portion of the state that's dissatisfied? Um, yeah, of course that's, that matters to me. Um, but what I do find that when I go talk to parents or when I talk to people in the communities, they overwhelmingly support their public school. So again, um, do they have kids in the school? Do they not have kids in the school? Because I'm impressed by the kids that are graduating from our public schools. You know, another looming concern for all schools is the educator shortage. Uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum report in August showed trends continuing of educators leaving their current school district to hop to another district or exiting the, the education profession altogether. Since 2009, we're showing a chart, there has been a yearly average of 11.5% teacher turnover. There was a spike in turnover in 2012 following the passage of Act 10, and then following the pandemic, turnover has been increasing sharply, hitting a rate of 12.4% in 2022. Uh, last school year, there was a 14-year high of teacher turnover, 15.8%. What do you think the main cause of teachers exiting the profession altogether. Yeah, so we've been studying this at DPI as well. And, you know, after five years, yes, we are losing a third of our teachers. And that's not good for Wisconsin schools. But I think what it what it underpins is many things. I think the culture wars, certainly, that you reference, you know, the politicization of education in Wisconsin. It's a national problem, too, to be sure, and it's not, not just in Wisconsin. But I also think we need to look at the past 10 years have not been kind to teachers and, and to public schools in general. Um, salaries have stagnated. Um, certainly, you know, just talking to people who have left the profession, that has a 
part to do, or, you know, p a piece of it, but it's also that work-life balance of teachers, and we need to make sure that we're supporting our teachers, and we need to be, you know, supportive of our schools because, again, that filters into how people feel about the profession. It, they don't leave teaching because they don't like kids. They don't leave teaching because they don't like the content. They leave because of the other things, housing shortages, childcare shortages, um, low wages, and support from the community. Do you expect this sort of educator shortage trend to continue, or do you think it's something that, at least in the meantime, school districts are going to have to learn to accommodate? I think it'll stabilize. I think, you know, certainly, um, you know, talking about it helps. I think certainly, um, you know, making sure that we're addressing some of the issues that are impacting teachers will help. Um, our school districts are working super hard to ensure that they're getting qualified people in the classrooms and then we're getting them licensed. So we've also put in different um, recommendations in the budget. Of course, they didn't make it into the final budget, but we're going to keep pushing, and I think that there are ways that we can we can help alleviate the stress. What are some things you would like the legislature to help with on this particular issue? Yeah, I think that you know there's some very short-term things they could do. You know, certainly like being able to rehire teachers who have retired will help in the short term, right? We know that those people won't want to stay teaching forever, um, but we can also there's look, some policy yeah, restrictions on their ability policy. to do that. Absolutely, you know. Um, Certainly we can look at grow your own programs, we can start paying teachers for their internship or their student teaching aspect. We could look at student loan forgiveness, we can look at raising salaries, but again, it's resources. Um, when you look at school budgets, 80 to 85 percent is focused on human resources and salaries. I mean, it's a very intense, human, human intense um, prof, you know, profession and business. And so we need to make sure that we're putting the resources in so that we can pay people what they're worth. Chronic absenteeism seems to be another one of those hangover issues from the pandemic. Uh, it rose, the rate of chronic absenteeism rose 16.1% in 2020, 2021. The rate in the 2021-22 school year reached 22.7%. That seems awfully high. Uh, how is DPI helping districts with that particular problem? Yeah, so we certainly, um, you know, have been trying to address the mental health needs that contribute to chronic absenteeism. We've also um, provided, I think it was earlier this year, um, access to a free program called the Graduation Alliance to school districts. So it provides resources and suggestions and ways in which schools and, and families can work together to get um, those chronically absent students back in school. So the speaker has announced several task forces that relate to education issues and chronic absenteeism is one of those. He announced a task force related to truancy. How do you expect DPI to be involved in that task force or any of the other ones? Right, so right now we have a cross-agency work group working on this issue because we know it's a very important one. Certainly there's mental health issues involved. Um, we have been invited to be participants, which is really exciting because it's forced. Right, so I think that there's lots of ways that we can contribute to the conversation. Um, and we also have recently released guidance that shows that mental health issues and chronic absenteeism, we, when we work with parents and schools together, we can reduce that. And then this previous spring of this year, we also provided access to a program called the Graduation Alliance, which is free to school districts, which addresses this issue. 
All right, so you'll be bringing that expertise into the task force. Yeah, I think it'll be very helpful. Um, you've started a strategic planning process. I know that you've been doing some internal work, and now the focus of that planning looks like it's moving externally. I saw the announcement. Um, you'll be hosting public listening sessions, attending community events, mm -hmm. um, putting out surveys. W what do you hope to learn from this strategic plan? It's supposed to wrap up next in the summer, right? Yes, yes, okay. by the end of the school year is the is the hope. Um, I, I think, you know, certainly what we've been trying to get out of this is that we know that, again, as I said in my, in my speech and then also at the beginning here, is that public education is changing. And we are we focusing on the things that are important? And you know, certainly coming out of that poll, um, you mentioned you know um, individuals wanting to be more involved in their schools, you know, or you know just some even confusion about what schools are, are doing. Hopefully, this will provide some clarity on what our goals need to be. Certainly, we are the public education um, and libraries institution or department in the state but we want input from parents. We want input from community leaders on what's important to them as far as the direction. And again, when I talk to kids and I talk to families, they want us to be future focused and I feel that this is a good way to, to do that. So do you expect to hear maybe from some of those dissatisfied oh, people, that, that group in the poll? Absolutely, I, I think that's a good way of making sure that we tease out what some of these issues are that you know individuals have with you know, public education or whether it's, you know, with individual schools or libraries, whatever it might be. Um, again, it's just really making sure that that we are focusing on mental health, if that's what's important. Are we focusing on early childhood, if that's what's important? We want to make sure that we're setting a course to, that works with the issues that are most important to the people in the state of Wisconsin. So how will you how will you use the results? Like what, what happens after you get all of this feedback? Yeah, so we will certainly sift through all the results, um, identify themes, um, look at what the work that we are currently doing in the agency, and then see if we need to redirect, right, some of the work that we're doing. Maybe it'll help us identify areas of policy that we could suggest or recommend or work with the legislature to introduce. Um, certainly we can look at are we putting our resources where they matter the most? Um, I think that there will be a lot of good changes that will come out of here. And again, like just to go with the theme of hope, I think it's really exciting. It's really innovative. And I also feel that when we look at the future of the state, we want to make sure that we are focusing on the right things. When you talk about hope, what are your hopes for sort of uh, your relationship with the legislature? It seems like DPI sometimes you know it takes a lot of criticism from leadership in the capital yeah i think that's you know again it's just politics unfortunately but we have so much in common and i think at the end of the day i mean we all want the same things we all want a solid education for our kids we want good teachers in our classrooms we want informed parents we want informed school boards we want to be making sure that we're moving forward we want progress we want the state to be one where people look at Wisconsin and say they have a strong education system. I'm going to relocate my family there or I'm going to relocate my business there because you know that when you have kids graduating from those high schools, they're going to your colleges and universities in the state. They're going to stay. They're going to work here. They're going to, you know, they're going to create their own businesses and they're going to raise their families here. And that's what we want. In terms, of, if you could say realistically where you could find kind of middle ground, bipartisan agreement on an issue with leadership in the Capitol, what do you, what do you think is that issue kind of in this, in this next year? 
Yes, well certainly literacy was a good foundation for that work, right? But I also feel like mental health is an area that we have some commonalities. Um, the teacher recruitment and retention issue. I hope that we can work on school finance as well. But I mean, all of those resources are so interrelated. If we want kids to be healthy and happy, we need to make sure that we have you know, qualified um, professionals in, in those classrooms as well. Will you be reaching out to the legislature or do you have, you know, leaders in the legislature reaching out to you? Always, yes, always we do. Uh, 2025 coming up, that would be a year of potential re-election for you. What, what are you thinking about for 2025? Are you going to run again? Heck yes, yes. Oh, she's, uh, already, yeah. <laughs> she's already saying I'm yes. I'm really jazzed about it too because when you think about it, we have so many exciting things happening and we have so much more work to do that it's really exciting to think about. Well, breaking news here, so I'm <laughs> glad to hear your announcement right here on Newsmakers. So anything else you'd like to share with us? No, I, it's just, again, just really hopeful about, you know, the, the future of education here in Wisconsin. We have so many good things happening. We have so many relationships that we're working through and building on. Um, it, again, it's a bipartisan issue. Yes, there are challenges, but nothing's insurmountable. And I think we're at this point, we, we are at this precipice, if you will, where you think about the challenges challenges that we've experienced in, in Wisconsin history. Coming out of COVID was no different, but this is an opportunity to harness that challenge and make some really good change. All right, well, thank you for joining Newsmakers. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol. 